I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Three, two, one. But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Welcome in. Our episode eight. Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun. This is podcast. This is Sports Podcast. It is Wednesday. Is on the January twenty fourth, two thousand twenty four. People. Hope everybody's doing well. Hope everybody is having a great day. Hope everybody is ready for a hump day Wednesday with your boy At. Get your head out of the gutter. Focus here today is sports, and we got a lot to talk about. We're going to start some college football. College football ended two weeks ago, yet there has been so much change. I thought it was good to reset the top 25. We did our way too early top 25 the day after the season. Since then, Nick Saban retires. Kalen DeBoer's gone. Jed Fish is gone. Ohio State crushes the portal. We're going to discuss all of the news that you've missed and where the landscape looks right now. From there, we will take a quick break. We'll talk some college hoops. First major coaching job, if you wanted to, if you want to call DePaul major, opened up. That is right. DePaul is now available. Very interesting job in the modern landscape of college hoops. I think I'll have some insight for you that you probably won't hear anywhere else. And then finally, we will wrap with some Monday and Tuesday night college hoops. Monday, Kansas and North Carolina get very nice wins. We'll discuss those as well as everything that happened on Tuesday. So we got ourselves a busy show. We got ourselves a jam-packed show. And with that said, there is no more time to waste. So let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day, listen, bluntly, it is college football is really starting to slow down. And I love college football. I could talk at 365. But in terms of the news cycle, things are really starting to slow down. Why do I bring it up? It is because today feels like a good day to kind of go ahead and update the way too early top 25 going into next year. So I think everybody knows, but we in the media, I include myself, we do the way too early top 25 every single time the season ends in college football and college basketball too. I do that as well, but I bring it up because normally we're only two weeks removed from the season and not all that much changes in most years, but with Nick Saban retired, Alabama has been shaken up. Obviously, Washington, the national runner-up, lost its head coach. Arizona, who I believe is good enough to win the Big 12, lost its head coach in Jed Fish. Plus, there's been all sorts of portal stuff. So it felt like a good time to reset. And to just kind of tell you where we are in college football, who's rising, who's falling just a few weeks after the season. First of all, to reset the top 25, let me start by giving you my top 10 
coming out of the season. By the way, I promise I'm not going to give you eight minutes on each team in the top 25. We'll keep this quick. We'll keep it short. We'll keep it to the point. Top 10 coming out of the season was as follows. Georgia, Michigan was number, Georgia was number one, Michigan, number two, Bama. Well, we thought they had a little guy named Nick Saban coaching them. Number three, Oregon, four, Texas, five, Ohio state, six, Ole Miss, seven, Clemson, eight, Utah, nine, Missouri, 10. Well, as I said, Quite a bit has changed as Alabama has a new head coach. It looks like Michigan is going to have its new head coach here soon. They've definitely lost J.J. McCarthy. So let's give you an update on where AT's top 25 is coming out of just two weeks removed from the season. Crazy to think, by the way. We're just two weeks removed from the season. Number one. Remember, Georgia was my number one to start the preseason. Great team, whatever. Well, I'm here to tell you. My new number one, drum roll, please. It's the Ohio State Buckeyes. Now, listen, what I would say, to me, it feels like Ohio State and Georgia are one in 1A, and you can go in either order that you want. If you want to put Georgia at number one, just based on the history, if you want to go Georgia number one because you don't trust Ryan Day, that's fine. What I'm here to tell you, at least in terms of frontline talent, Ohio State is so stacked, and they are my number one team in the country next year. Now, as you know, I've been a guy that questions Ryan Day, and I've actually been a guy that questioned the quarterback portal decision of bringing in Will Howard, the transfer from Kansas State. But at the same time, if if Will Howard's even half decent, the talent around him is going to be so good that it doesn't freaking matter. Do you understand how much talent Ohio State has? Okay, and and by the way, we've talked about a lot of this, so I'm not going to spend like 11 minutes telling you who all their guys are, but really quickly. Emeka Abuka, their second leading receiver, decides to come back after this past season. He came into this past season projected as a first-round pick. He was injured, but two years ago, he had like 85 catches, okay? This was a first-round talent, got hurt, he's coming back. On top of that, Carnell Tate, number one wide receiver in last year's recruiting class, the 2023 recruiting class. He's coming in, he's expected to emerge, etc. They also have another five-star named Brandon Innes, another five-star figure it out, whatever. Also worth noting, Jeremiah Smith, the number one recruit in the 2024 class, true freshman next year, wide receiver. He's coming to Ohio State. So you just, the the receiver room is by far the best in the country. Like there's nothing even close, okay? On top of that, your leading rusher, Travion Henderson is coming back and Quinshawn Judkins, who was the best player in the portal on the offensive side of the football. 2,500 yards rushing in two seasons at Ole Miss, he's coming in. So to keep in mind, leading rusher, best running back in the portal, uh, second leading receiver is coming back, plus three five-stars behind him as well. That's on offense. On defense, you got Caleb Downs spearheading, really the only major addition to the defense. But remember, the defense was top five in the country, and they return a bunch of guys that could have been in the NFL draft had they chosen to leave. JT Tuimola, former five-star, could have been a first-round pick. Denzel Burke, cornerback, probably a first, second, you know, second day, second-round pick. Uh, Jack Sawyer, probably a second-round pick, maybe fringe first. All these guys are coming back. Now you add Caleb Downs, a future top 10 pick from Alabama. Ohio State is my number one team going into next year. Number two, Georgia Bulldogs. Really, you look at them, nothing has really changed since the offseason began. 
Other than that, the only thing that's even resembling a thorn in their side the last few years, that's Nick Saban. Oh, he announced his retirement. So Nick Saban's gone. To me, Georgia is the clear class of the SEC, although ironically, maybe one of the new teams will be interesting there. But there isn't much to share here. It is who they were coming out of that Orange Bowl. Carson Beck is back. O-line's deep. Defense is going to be phenomenal. That's the thing with the defense, right? Is the defense, um, you know, kind of a blend of emerging stars, young stars, veterans, Smile Munden came, was a projected like first day pick this year. He's coming back after kind of some injuries and stuff. CJ Allen coming in, stepped up big last year. Um, I could go on and on. We know how good Georgia is. You want me to tell you how good Georgia is? I'll tell you. Uh, last week, week one, or, or excuse me, early season point spreads came out in college football. Georgia is actually a field goal favorite at Alabama next year. They play Alabama in September. I bring it up to very simply say, if you're favorite at Bama, I'm sorry, you're stacked. Georgia is at number two. Number three, maybe where it starts to get a little interesting, I have the Oregon Ducks. Oregon is so good. And I know Dan Lanning hasn't had his big moment. And is he going to, when is he going to break through? He lost to Washington three straight times under Kalen DeBoer. Um, you know, whatever. What I'm here to tell you, that defense, that, that team is stacked. Okay. One, Bring in Dylan Gabriel, quarterback. I think he's going to be excellent. The, the skill position talent around him is phenomenal. Bucky Irving at running back. Uh, Tez, uh, Tez Johnson, I believe the kid's name is, at wide receiver. So the talent is there on offense. Defense is stacked. And they're going into the Big Ten, I think, with a chance to win it. Now, Ohio State has squatted up. And so because of it, it's hard to say that they deserve to be uh, ranked higher than Ohio State. But. You talk about a team that could potentially match or exceed Ohio State in the Big Ten next year. Oregon is it. They are my number three team going into next year. Number four, I have Texas. Listen, Texas, Steve Sarkeesian, I give him credit. He was a guy that I did not trust many of you the same going into this year. He proved he is building a program. He proved that he has learned from going to the Nick Saban coaching school and he won the Big 12, and he had a team in the college football playoff, and he had a team that just won at Bama. They bring back Quinn Ewers, their quarterback. Remember, they just added Alabama's leading receiver through the portal, Isaiah Bond, and they have an O-line and a defense that returns a ton. So I have Texas at number four behind Oregon, uh, Georgia, and Ohio State. Number five is where it starts to get a little bit interesting in my updated top 25. I still have Alabama at number five. And some of you will sit there and say, new coach, it's not Nick Saban, they lost Caleb Downs, they lost this guy, they lost Caden Proctor, whatever. I'm here to tell you, I really don't care, and I'll tell you why. There's two reasons why I still like Bama a ton coming into next year. The first one is they still have the core of last year's team coming back, and I thought it was interesting. Some of the key returnees did an interview with Chris Lowe a few weeks ago. And they said, or a few days ago after the DeBoer hire, and they said, just because Coach Saban is gone, the standard remains the same. And so I bring it up because, yes, it's going to be a new coaching staff. Yes, there's going to be new people in their ears. But Jalen Milrow, Tyler Booker, Jihad Campbell, the, the star linebacker, they're not going to let that team dip too much. Two, I think you can legitimately argue that the coaching staff across the board is an upgrade over last year. 
Now, you're not replacing the GOAT. You're not replacing the greatest to ever do it, Nick Saban. But Kalen DeBoer's an elite head coach. Think about how many games that he won with inferior talent this season, including beating Oregon twice, beating Texas, etc. Great game planner, great schemer. I'm not X's and O's guy, but he always has his team ready to play. Kane Womack, the defensive coordinator, is a stud. Uh, the You just go on and on down the list. Ryan Grubb, etc. So I like this team. And my last thought is this. Everyone says, oh, how is Jalen Milrow going to handle the, the transition? And I get it, right? You know, Jalen Milrow doesn't, doesn't look like Michael Penix, doesn't fit the mold. Michael Penix is a pocket passer, whatever. I bring it up to very simply say that while they appear to be very different quarterbacks on paper, keep this in mind. I haven't heard anybody make this point, so make sure you get your pen and paper and you listen to Torres. Michael Penix, in his final season in Indiana, completed 53% of his passes the year before, 56% of his passes. The year before that, by the way, was 68%, and that was when Kalen DeBoer was his head coach. But 53 and 56% in the two seasons without Kalen DeBoer, I bring it up because this year, I don't know how many people realize this, Jalen Milrow completed 66% of his passes. It's not elite. It's not Tua. It's not Bryce Young. But it's it's better... Kalen DeBoer will start from a better place with Jalen Milrow than he did with Michael Penix. Now, Michael Penix is great, but like a lot of Michael Penix's credit goes to Kalen DeBoer. So I have Bama at number five. Number six after Bama, that's where I have Michigan. And and I'll keep Michigan there for, for a couple reasons. One, it seems pretty obvious to me that Michigan is just going to hire Sharon Moore to replace Jim Harbaugh. They'd be crazy at this point to do anything other than that. I know there's been whispers about Brian Kelly. It's crazy. Think about what just happened at Bama after the GOAT retired and how many good players enter the portal. Well, think about how many players will leave if you don't hire from within and keep that infrastructure in place. Now, Harbaugh could bring a few assistants, but you keep Sharon Moore, you keep most of that roster together. And as I just said with Bama, I don't think the standard changes at Alabama, and I don't think the way that they go about approaching things at Michigan does as well. Now, listen, they're not going to be as talented as Ohio State. They're not going to be as talented as Oregon, who they play in the regular season. But do I think they'll be really good? I do. Obviously, the big question will be at quarterback. J.J. McCarthy is gone. Alex Orgy is the kid's name, who is projected to replace him. We'll see if he's the guy, if they bring in somebody else through the portal. But to me, the standard doesn't change. It's going to be hard to replace Jim Harbaugh if and when he leaves. But they're still going to be really good. Now, if he if he does come back, there's an interesting conversation about moving them higher. But I have Michigan at number six. Rest of my top ten, number seven, the Ole Miss Rebels. Listen, we've talked a lot about Ole Miss this offseason, but Jackson Dart, 30-year starter at quarterback, is coming back. Beyond that, they obviously killed the portal. Walter Nolan's coming in at, at defensive tackle. Uh, a couple other linemen from the SEC. Now, they did lose one of their their transfers to Louisville, Tyler Barron, but Ole Miss at number seven, I really like a lot. Number eight, the first ACC team in Clemson. Listen, Clemson's not perfect, but they return a lot off of last year's team. Cade Klubnick is back for his third year in the program. You would hope he makes a leap in year two with Garrett Riley. Um, The defense, Barrett Carter, an All-American, is coming back. Worth noting, the wide receiver core should be better. Five-star Bryant Wesco is coming in. So Clemson should be improved. They should be the favorites in the ACC. Speaking of the favorites in Utah, I have at number nine. They are now in the Big 12. Remember that. 
They bring back Cam Rising, seventh-year senior. You know, missed all of this year with an injury. Defense, run game, O-line is always great. Now you add Cam Rising to that. They were an eight-win team this year. I could see them being even better next year. And number 10, I do have Missouri. Missouri, like Ole Miss, they're not a traditional power in the SEC, but they return a lot of talent uh, from this year's team. Remember, they won 10 games this year. Brady Cook, well, they won they won 11 when you include the Cotton Bowl, actually. But Brady Cook's back at, at, at quarterback. Um, Luther Burden's back at wide receiver. They've upgraded the defense. I like Missouri at number 10. Not going to go through all of my top 25 as far as like a deep dive, but a couple other schools to keep an eye on. First off, number 11, I have Notre Dame. Number 12, I have LSU. Number 13, Miami is an interesting one to me. So I'm actually higher on Miami than most other people. Um, now look, Mario Cristobal, is he Bill Belichick between the lines? Is he perfect? Is he Mike Tomlin? Is he Sean McVay? Is he Nick Saban? He's not. Didn't even know how to take a knee earlier this year. But that team's stacked. The O-line is really good, one of the best in the country. The skill position guys all return. Defense returns almost intact. And they added Cam Ward, the transfer from Washington State. This was one that kind of fell through the cracks. We didn't really talk about it. But remember, Cam Ward was projected to go to the NFL. He declared for the draft, but never signed with an NFLPA agent, comes back from Washington State. This was one of the most prolific passers in all of college football last year. And so you add him into a team that has no real weaknesses in an interesting season in which the ACC is kind of in that middle ground where um, where Clemson is going to be okay, but whatever. Are they going to be great? We don't know. Florida State loses a ton. I think Miami can mess around, win the ACC, and potentially make the college football playoff. Cam Ward, 3,700 yards, 25 rushing touch or 25 passing touchdowns. I have them at number 13. Number 14 in my poll is Oklahoma. Listen, I like Oklahoma a lot, but they're going to have a welcome to the SEC moment because think about this schedule for Oklahoma. And this is just an example of how crazy schedules are going to be in this SEC Big Ten new world. Oklahoma's schedule next year includes a home opener against Tennessee, Bama at home, Texas in Dallas where they always play, plus at LSU, at Auburn, at Ole Miss, at Mizzou. So I just listed three teams that I have in my top 12 that they have to play on the road at, plus Bama at home, plus Tennessee at home, plus Texas on a neutral. Don't want to spoil it, but that is by my count. one Because I do have Tennessee in my top 20. One, two, three, four, five, six. Six of their 12 games against teams in my top 20. Good luck to Oklahoma. Number 15, I have Penn State. Listen, Penn State has all the pieces. Until they do it, I, I just, I can't. I, I can't get excited about Penn State. It's time to prove something to me. It's time to show me something. Like, there's only so many times that I can, uh, you know, believe in you until you let me down. I also think, by the way, uh, with the way schedules break, Penn State now, it, you know, it's just much tougher when you add Oregon, Washington, UCLA, and USC to the mix. Number 16, really interesting school, Arizona. I had Arizona, I think, number 12 in my first top 25. Well, obviously, since that came out, they have lost their head coach, Jed Fish, went to Washington. And they have lost a few players since he left. But they also brought back Noah Fafita, their star quarterback, completed 74% of his passes. 
Tetaroa McMillan, 90 catches, 1,400 yards last season. I believe he's like a first-round NFL draft pick next year. So most of the core has come back. Most of those guys believe in themselves. Now it's time to see if they can deliver under new head coach Brent Brennan. If Brent Brennan, listen, I don't know much about Brent Brennan other than you know what I've read. I've never met him, never really been around him. If he just does, it, it, just hand the keys to Nofafita and let him go from there. I think Arizona could potentially mess around and win the Big 12. Got to keep that infrastructure in place that Jed Fish put in place. I do have Arizona in my updated top 25 at 16. 17, I have Tennessee. Listen, I like Tennessee. Nico is really freaking good. Nico was awesome in that bowl game against Iowa. Obviously, look, can he do it over 12 games in the SEC? Tennessee, of course, because they're Tennessee. How about next year? They still have Georgia and Bama on the schedule. Bama at home, Georgia on the road. Uh, So it doesn't get any easier. I just mentioned they play at Oklahoma as well. 18, Oklahoma State. 19, USC. I think USC is one that I'm buying a little bit more than other people. Listen, Lincoln Riley didn't forget how to coach overnight. And I do think Caleb Williams was at least partially responsible for some of their struggles this year. Now, the defense was terrible. We all know that. But I just bring it up because part of it was on Caleb Williams, too. Trying to be a Superman, trying to do too much, trying to be a hero, blah, 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 blah. I don't know that, like... They're going to be as bad as people think. I think people think, oh, Lincoln Riley is terrible, whatever. The defense is going to be improved. They spent a ton of money on that staff. They're going to get the defense right. And I think once they get the defense right, the offense doesn't have to be great every single night. I actually kind of think USC is a little bit better than people think. Problem, of course, is they're going to the Big Ten where they have Ohio, or I think they miss Ohio State, but they have Penn State at home, uh, USC or Michigan on the road, among others. Beyond that, I have uh, Florida State at number 20. Listen, they lose a ton. We'll see what happens. Iowa, very advantageous schedule next year. They do not play Michigan, Penn State, Oregon, or USC. They get a a, a watered-down Washington team. They do get Ohio State. That's their toughest game. 22 is A&M. I actually like Texas A&M. Mike Elko is going to be an upgrade. And Texas A&M might be the only team in college or in the SEC I don't believe they have Bama or Georgia on the schedule next year. That is a huge break for them. 23 Boise, 24 Kansas, and 25. I did keep Jed Fish's new team, the Washington Huskies, in. Listen, he I've criticized him. I didn't love the decision, but he's going to put together a decent squad, and he will still have a decent infrastructure in place. I have Washington at number 25, but again, my top 25 coming out of this past season And this is the updated version, of course. I have Ohio State at one, Georgia at two, Oregon at three, Texas at four, Bama at five, Michigan at six, uh, Ole Miss at seven, Clemson at eight. At number nine, I have Utah. And at number 10, I have Missouri. The one that I'm really excited about, I think could be much better than people realize, is the Miami Hurricanes. And by the way, Depending on what happens, we may update this thing throughout the winter and spring as well, but that's where things currently stand. All right, so what I want to do, take a quick break, come back. When we come back, going to do a little bit of college hoops. I mentioned it. How about the coaching carousel getting spinning here in January? DePaul, you forgot about them. You forgot they were a power conference team. By technicality, they still are. They have a coaching opening. I have some interesting thoughts, a lot of stuff. I'm not sure you'll hear anybody anywhere else. Quick break. Be right back. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, 
This is the deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. I do want to switch gears, and I do want to get to some college hoops. Now, we will get to the Tuesday night results here momentarily and even a little bit of what happened on Monday night when both Carolina and Kansas won at home on the first big Monday of the year. But I do want to start with some off-the-court news, as for the first time this year, we have a job opening at the power conference level. Well, power conference, at least if you consider DePaul to still be a power conference school, but that is right, on Monday afternoon, DePaul officially parted ways with Tony Stubblefield, their head coach. Um, and basically, I hate to say it, but his regime basically went exactly the way that really pretty much every other coach of my lifetime at DePaul's went. Overall goes 28-54 and 54 overall. That's a 34% win percentage. 9-38 and 38 in the Big East. That is a 19% win percentage. I'll be honest, that feels high to me. I don't remember them winning one out of every five games while Tony Stubblefield was the head coach in Big East play. But regardless, he is out. And so the conversation becomes who is next. Now, listen, we're not going to spend a ton of time on this. It's freaking DePaul. But I do want to hit on it for a few different reasons. One, it is a coaching opening. Everybody loves the carousel. And two, DePaul is kind of an interesting job where it's certainly getting, uh, there, there are certainly fewer and fewer people that remember DePaul's heyday and remember DePaul being relevant. But this is a school that has been to multiple Final Fours. They went to a bunch of Sweet 16s and Elite 8s in the 70s and 80s. So there are some of you listening that remember DePaul being a national player. Now, again, it's been a long time. I mean, I am, I'm, I'm, I was born in the mid 80s and I barely remember DePaul being relevant. So, so that shows you how long it's been. Um, but it's an interesting job. And I, why I want to talk about it is because it's kind of a fascinating job from the dynamics of current college sports and really the push-pull, right? It used to just be history and tradition and where you located. 
It is a totally different deal now. And I think DePaul is a great microcosm for that. Matter of fact, before we even get to candidates, I think you can argue it is a much tougher job today than it was the last time it opened in 2001 or 2021, excuse me. That was when they hired Stubblefield. Bottom line is 2021, first off, the Big East was good. It ain't what it is right now, okay? I mean, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say virtually everybody is either in as good or better position than they were in 2021. UConn, obviously, Dan Hurley has them rolling at an elite level. Uh, Rick Pitino is now at St. John's. Ed Cooley, we think, will elevate Georgetown. Sean Miller is a monster to coach against Xavier, even though they're struggling. Thad Mata at Butler, on and on. So the Big East is tough. Beyond that, this is the important part. This is an NIL collective sport now, even in a way that it wasn't in 2021 when the job opened. 2021, we're kind of at the beginning stages of NIL. Nobody really knows what a collective even is. Uh, Beyond that, I can tell you for a fact, Illinois state laws at the time were very restrictive on what you could even do in NIL. Well, clearly the last three years that has completely changed, and now it is about, especially the power conference level, do you have cold, hard cash? And DePaul is a school that, that at least on the surface doesn't appear to have a ton of it. So the number one thing is, can you get between the AD, Dwayne Peavy was previously at Kentucky as both Mitch Barnhard's right-hand man and also John Calipari's right-hand man too. Can you raise those funds? Can a coach help raise those funds? Because that's all that really matters. And so it's crazy to think about. I would even argue, and I promise we'll get to candidates in a minute, I would even argue it's the, the candidate list isn't even as good as it was a few years ago. Now, a few years ago, there was a lot of buzz about Kenny Payne, who obviously ended up at Louisville. Obviously, that would not have worked out well. But what I don't think a lot of people know, DePaul, this is a fact. I know it for a fact, multiple sources, multiple you know people, whatever you want to say. DePaul was really far down the, down, down the, the, the stretch with John Shire. They, they really were like this close to getting John Shire as their next head coach. Um, what I can tell you is that the administrate the administration liked him. He wanted the job. He is from Chicago. And the highest of higher-ups at the school basically said no. They basically said, look, we actually don't want to bring in a Chicago guy because if you bring in a Chicago guy and it doesn't work, it's going to be hard to fire him. There's a lot of factions in the city and in the alumni and in whatever, kind of like hiring an alum. Like if Michigan has to try to fire Jawan Howard this year, good luck from a public perception standpoint. Obviously, Georgetown went through a little bit of this. So I can tell you they really like John Shire. They were actually, there were some serious, you know, little, little whatever with Dennis Gates, who's now at Missouri. Uh, didn't work out, you know, from what I've been told from both sides. It just wasn't a, a perfect fit at that moment in time. But I bring it up because those candidates would have been great. Unfortunately, neither of them happened. And now you got to regroup and try to do it in a much tougher Big East and in an NIL world that is unlike what it was a few years ago. Now, in terms of names, let me start by saying this. I think the best name out there is one that they are not going to pursue. I think it's Will Wade. I really do. And Will Wade is obviously the coach. Everybody knows got fired from LSU a few years ago, NCAA violations. But he's now back at McNeese State, which is in Lake Charles, Louisiana. I don't know how many people know this. McNeese State basically wanted the buzzer on Monday night to improve to 17-2. and overall this season. And so I know Will Wade has a reputation that precedes him and he got caught on wiretap and blah, 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 this and that. What I can tell you is that reputation is largely, I would say not accurate based on people that I've talked to who have worked for him. He is one, a basketball nerd. 
And he is not, you know, people think they have this perception of, oh, he paid this, he did that, he did that. Dude is a tireless recruiter. I know for a fact, when he got a jo- when he got that job at McNeese, he basically rented out an Airbnb, brought his assistants. They all lived there for about six weeks, and they were just on the phone all day recruiting every single day from sunup to sundown. And so I just bring it up because I truly believe he is a guy that will come in and he will get talent. By the way, for anybody who thinks, oh, he just, he just bought a bunch of players. First off, do you see how many players from LSU are in the NBA right now? Trenton Watford, Cam Thomas, uh, whoever. I can't think of everybody. But on top of that, they also have a lot of guys, Nas Reed, by the way, a lot of guys who weren't highly rated recruits. Tari Eason is in the NBA right now. He was a first-round pick out of LSU. Um, he averaged six points a game at Cincinnati the year before he got to LSU. Will Wade turned him into a first-round. So Will Wade is a great recruiter, a national recruiter. He's not tied to one area. He was kind of in that Virginia VCU era area, excuse me. Then he goes to LSU. Now he's at McNeese. I think he'd crush it there. Unfortunately for DePaul fans, I don't really buy that he's a real candidate. Um, I don't want to say that I know Dwayne Peavy well, the AD, but I know him a little bit. And more importantly, he kind of comes from that Mitch Barnhard school of AD. In other words, Mitch Barnhard is a very risk-averse AD. Ask Kentucky fans. They've been frustrated with Mitch Barnhart about some of his NIL decisions. They feel like Kentucky fell behind because of their administration. Um, You know, some other decisions that he's made, his relationships, whatever. So Mitch Barnhart, conservative AD, Dwayne Peavy, I I don't see him taking the plunge on Will Wade, even though I think he should. After Will Wade, listen, there's a couple interesting names. I've seen a lot of Bob Hurley. Now, the reason for that, people have been asking me, Bob Hurley from Jersey, played on the East Coast. Um, and I think there was a time, including when this job opened up a few years ago, he was ready to get back to the East Coast. Now, a couple things have changed. One, team's actually doing pretty well. Two, he did not get along with his AD at all. Ray Anderson, you can look it up. You can Google it. Um, him and Ray Anderson hated each other. Like, it's not even a personal, private thing that nobody knows about. It is public. Just Google it. I believe there was an incident where, like, a booster kind of was a little inappropriate with Bob Hurley's wife. And the AD took the boosters back, not Bob Hurley's back. Well, that AD is gone now. And with him gone, I do wonder, you know, is he happy at ASU? And then the other thing is his brother's at UConn and his brother's crushing it. You want to go into a league where your brother's going to beat your brains in twice a year? So I, I don't really think Bob Hurley's as much of a candidate as he was a few years ago. And then from there, you just start talking about a tier of candidates that I don't know how exciting it is going to be for um for DePaul fans. First of all, um any sitting power conference head coach like just cross them off, okay? Like I even heard some like Chris Be- would Chris Beard go there from Ole Miss? Chris Beard is not leaving Ole Miss for DePaul, okay? Nobody likes deep dish pizza that much to go to DePaul from Ole Miss in the SEC where you have unlimited money as much as you need whatever. I also think by the way, there's some uh mid-major jobs that are better than DePaul is. Like Bryce Drew at Grand Canyon Grant Kennedy is a great mid-major job. Grant Kennedy has better facilities than most of the Pac-12. I don't think he's leaving uh, Grand Canyon for a long time until he gets the perfect job opportunity. So I don't think he's a candidate. Um, I do think some of those Missouri Valley guys are candidates. Uh, Brian Wardell from uh, from Bradley is a name that I've seen. He's he's made it multiple NCAA tournament appearances uh, at Indiana State. I think the name to keep an eye on there, Josh Schertz. 
He is a guy that had a ton of success at the D2 level, uh, made several D2 Final Fours, and has gotten to Indiana State. Indiana State is 16-3 and right now. I think he's the kind of guy that you actually probably want because he's proven he can build programs at lower schools, lower resources, not a lot of resources. He's a coach's coach. He can coach. You got to ha- you got to build a staff that can help him get some players, but I think he's a guy that you can build a program with. And I also think coming off of a, Tony Stubblefield, I don't see the scenario where you can hire kind of a, the, the young assistant coach because that's a little bit of what Tony Stubblefield was coming from Oregon. Really quickly, I am curious. You know, again, I said no sitting Power 5 head coach will take the job, Power 6 head coach. Do wonder if like a, a Mountain West type coach would. Nico Medved from Colorado State. Uh, Colorado State's awesome. They're going to make the tournament. Question kind of like Bryce Drew. I think you can argue Colorado State's maybe the best or second best job in the Mountain West. Are you going to leave the second best Mountain West job for the worst job in the Big East? Oh, by the way, on top of that, and I think this is worth noting, Nico Medved went to Minnesota. I think Minnesota's probably going to open up here in a few weeks. Does he wait for his alma mater? Maybe Leon Rice from Boise State. They've made multiple NCAA tournaments. He's talked, you know, there's been buzz about him getting out of there for a while. But this is one man, I'll tell you, I don't envy Dwayne Peavy because, like I said, I think you can argue this is maybe the toughest job in all of college basketball or in all of the the, the power conferences. The NIL is going to be a factor. The Big East being a monster is going to be a factor. And I hate to say it, I'm not trying to ruin the buzz for DePaul fans. I think it's going to be hard to find a name that everybody's excited about. Now, the good news is Dwayne is super plugged in, super smart, knows people. Um, I do think there is a possibility that he pulls a rabbit out of the out of his hat that nobody is expecting. But it'll be interesting to see, man. It'll be interesting to see DePaul in the Big East. We'll see who their next head coach ends up being. But like I said, I do not envy him. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, Everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Final segment of the show. So good to be back. Do you want to go in and wrap a little bit of college hoops? Okay. So want to get to some of the games on Monday and Tuesday. And in my opinion, there really only is one place to start when discussing those games. I've talked a lot about the Kentucky Wildcats here over the last couple days. Talked about uh, uh, last Wednesday, we talked about the three teams I thought are a cut above everybody else. UConn, Kentucky, and Carolina. And then, of course, on Monday show, we talked a lot about Big Z uh, Mania, which, of course, came via Zvonavir Ivisic's debut last Saturday. So there's been a lot of good with Kentucky, but obviously... When it goes bad, we got to talk about them as well. 
And so what I would say about Kentucky is there really hasn't been a game all year outside of UNC Wilmington in early December where they simply haven't shown up. Now, they lost to Kansas in a shootout. They lost to Texas A&M in a game they easily could have won. But I would say that so far this season, for a young team, they have done a great job of showing up, ready to play every single game. And on Tuesday night, that simply didn't happen. They went down to South Carolina, and I think they weren't ready. I also want to give credit to the South Carolina Gamecocks, who I thought had a perfect plan to beat them. And South Carolina pulls off the upset over Kentucky. Kentucky, of course, with the loss, falls to 14-4 and four overall. And so when I think about this game, listen, let's talk about Kentucky. Are, should we be concerned, nervous, whatever? What I would say is with Kentucky, I think the big question has always been, We know this team can score. You let them get in the open court. You let all those guys shoot. You let all those guys do whatever. They're going to beat you. They're going to outscore you. They're going to outgun you. And it's something they've done really well all year. I mean, even last Wednesday, they're playing an elite defensive team in Mississippi State. And all of a sudden, Mississippi State falls down early. And it's like a freaking waterfall, a cascade of offense. And so the question became, what happens? And, and, you know, listen, people are going to talk about going on the road. But to me, what happens when a team has a game plan to slow them down and truly sticks to it, truly does not let them get out in fast breaks, truly does limit the three-point shooting, truly does make them win in the half court, in the paint, making shots? Well, on Tuesday night, we found out because a combination of a lot of different things led to South Carolina's success. Listen, first of all, you just have to give South Carolina credit because, again, It's easy to say that the game plan is you're playing the number one offense in college basketball. We're just going to slow it down. We're not going to let them run. We're going to do whatever. Then you get in the game. They get a couple fast break points, but then all of a sudden it gets out of hand. That is not what happened on Tuesday night. Okay. Kentucky all game long could not get into anything they wanted. And that is a hundred percent credit to South Carolina's defense, Lamont Paris, and what he planned on going into this game. So I don't want it to sound like I'm making excuses for Kentucky because I'm not. Because from the beginning, the offense really wasn't clicking at all. Uh, Rob Dillingham carried them early. He was the only one making shots. Thought Trey Mitchell did a very good job, uh, to his credit, kind of carrying things early in the second half. But then as the second half wore on, as they started to continue to struggle on offense, they continued to be be unable to go on those patented 8-2 runs, 10-2 runs, 14-4 runs. All of a sudden, you could see the frustration mounting. Now, I will say, and again, this is not an excuse, just my personal opinion, I do think the way the game was refereed helped on top of South Carolina's defense. The bottom line is South Carolina did a very good job limiting what Kentucky does well, But the other thing is Kentucky is a team with a group of guards that can beat you off the dribble and finish at the rim. And so I just bring that up because when Kentucky, when when they let a lot of the physicality get away at the rim, all of a sudden that, that put Kentucky in another bind. I mean, if you're used to driving at three dudes and getting a foul call, now you're not getting the foul call. It added to the frustration and Kentucky was not good in the paint, not good at the rim. They couldn't get open looks at three. They couldn't get transition points, and all of a sudden, you sit there and say, um, you know, the, the offense isn't really there. And so when I look at this game, like I know everybody wants to freak out, but but I I think to me, the only thing that I really was disappointed in more than anything, listen, you're going to have nights where the other team just comes out with a good game plan. Maybe the calls aren't going your way. Maybe you're on the road, whatever. The thing that disappointed me, though, 
was that when things didn't go this team's way in the second half, I did think they quit a little bit. I did think they got a little bit lazy on defense. I'm not as anti-Kentucky's defense as everybody else, but I just bring it up because it did feel like, okay, now you fall down eight. Now you fall down 10. Now all of a sudden you're not even trying on defense. Now you're giving up open threes. All of a sudden they had, I think at one point, a 16, 18 point lead. So that would be my big concern if I'm a Kentucky fan is that when the offense struggled, when everything's not going right, right? And when we talk about this in football a lot, the idea of a team that can get ahead, the Dallas Cowboys are like this. They get ahead, they're rolling, they feel good, they're they're running fake reverses, and Dak's handing it off behind his back and whatever. But then they're down 14-3, and they panic and freak out. I'm not saying Kentucky panic and freaked out, but what I saw was a team that once things went bad, they didn't really fight, they kind of sort of quit. Part of that is South Carolina, part of it is to Kentucky. Now, the question becomes, are, how concerned should Kentucky fans be? And I'll be honest, I know this is going to sound controversial. I really don't think Kentucky fans should be that concerned overall with this loss. Because the bottom line, we're now, what, 18 games into the season? How many teams have actually done a good job of slowing down Kentucky? By the way, keep in mind, this is only the fourth true road game, uh, Louisville, Florida, and, and, and Texas A&M. You're not going to play in many tougher road environments, but the combination of a road environment, a veteran team, Michi Johnson's been around forever, BJ Mack's been around forever. Those guys on South Carolina have been around forever. Um, but the other thing is, is that there's a lot of teams that that will say they want to slow you down, say they want to play in the half court, and then when it's time to do it, they can't, or they won't, or they're incapable, or they fall down and they get nervous. And so I'm not that worried. Remember, South Carolina came into this game with one of the slowest paces in all of college football, college basketball. Excuse me. This is how they play. This is who they are. And because of it, it's why I'm not that worried yet if I'm a Kentucky fan. Now, this is clearly the blueprint, but it's easy to say you're going to do it versus actually doing it. And from, from South Carolina's perspective, they executed it perfectly. You know what this game reminded me of, honestly? Do you remember during the COVID NCAA tournament bubble when Gonzaga played UCLA? And all year long, it was, oh, we're going to slow down Gonzaga. We're not going to let him beat us in the in, in the full court. And then what ended up happening? Gonzaga, they, they get up six, they get up eight, and then all of a sudden they're just running up and down the court and they're scoring 100 on everybody. And they got to the Final Four and UCLA was really the first team. Mick Cronin, to his credit, Mick Cronin's taking a lot of L's this year. But he put the game plan is, he said, we're not fast breaking. You get the ball on a rebound. I don't care if it's a four on one, you're pulling it out. We're running 30 seconds off the shot clock. And that's what South Carolina did. But more importantly, that's what South Carolina is uniquely built to do this season. Look at the rest of the teams on Kentucky's schedule. Tennessee plays a lot faster than they have in years past. Auburn plays fast. Alabama plays fast. So I'm not as worried about the, the, the style of play as I am with the overall lack of effort that I saw from this team late. Quickly, we do have to give some credit to South Carolina. This is a good basketball team. By the way, this speaks to what I've said, and I didn't really do the full rant that I planned on doing, and it was because it was that crazy Sunday where so much stuff happened. But I think South Carolina is a great example of the new world of college basketball, is in this NIL portal world. Everybody's got players. Everybody's tough to play. It's not easy to play on the road. Look at the losses this year by the best teams. Kentucky at Texas A&M at South Carolina, Tennessee at Mississippi State, uh, Purdue at Nebraska at Northwestern, uh, Arizona at Washington State. You go on and on down the list. It is so hard to win on the road. 
And I think South Carolina is a great example of across college basketball for years, they were a laughing stock, but they got a really good coach in Lamont Paris. They got uh, the, the right players, the right system, guys that have bought into that system, veterans who don't care about your draft stock. And I give them credit. So South, uh, South Carolina credit to them. That is a great win for their resume. The SEC is trending towards like eight as eight teams in the NCAA tournament. It's hard for me to believe that South Carolina isn't one of them. For Kentucky, doesn't get any easier. I know Arkansas is not playing well, but now you got to go to Bud Walton Arena on Saturday. That's going to be a tough one. But credit to South Carolina, they were the better team and deserved to win. All right, let's quickly rip through the rest of a pseudo-busy Monday and Tuesday in college hoops. Now, I'll be honest, outside of Kentucky losing at South Carolina, there weren't a ton of marquee upsets. As a matter of fact, there's actually a lot of teams that aren't even playing this week. Tennessee, who's obviously top 10 in the country, they have the week off. They don't play again until Saturday when they face Vandy. UConn, number one in the country, has the week off. They play on Sunday. I want to say it's against Xavier. I'm not 100% positive on that one. Just bring it up to say not a lot of like, like real big upsets outside of Kentucky losing at South Carolina. A couple results that are worth noting, though. One, Houston going to BYU to me is kind of an impressive and important win and result. Bottom line is BYU for people who have not watched them play. They lead the country in three-point shooting. They lead the country in assists per game. And so I bring it up because Houston, we know them. They're kind of physical, rebounding, defense, et cetera. I thought it was kind of impressive to be able to go on the road at altitude. BYU is ranked in the top 25, by the way, for people who, who have not been following. And really, I think most importantly, they were able to play BYU's game and still get the win. So Houston goes to uh, Houston goes to BYU and gets that victory. They put up 75 points. That is a great sign to me because Houston in years past, there have been games where kind of what we just talked about with South Carolina and Kentucky. If they can't dictate tempo, if they can't keep games in the 60s, they cannot win. They get 75 in the victory. Also in the Big 12, the only other real notable upset, if you will, Texas takes care of Oklahoma. How about those Texas Longhorns going 2-0 since Rodney Terry complained about the horns down, baby? That's right, uh, Texas. They had basically a buzzer beater against Baylor on uh, on Saturday. They beat Oklahoma in the Red River shootout, if you will. Basketball-wise, Oklahoma was ranked number 11 in the country. Uh, staying in the Big 12, we'll go back to Monday night. Kansas, I thought, got a nice win over Cincinnati. By the way, Torres gets a lot of stuff wrong. Remember on Monday's show, though, I told you about a kid named Johnny Furphy. Love the name, by the way. We got some great names in college basketball. Remember a few years ago, we had Joel Ayay from Gonzaga? Well, we got Johnny Furphy uh, at Kansas. And I said to you, I said, listen, I'm not worried about Kansas. They need to build some depth. And Bill Self is basically forcing this kid into the lineup to get him reps and minutes. And I bring it up because he finished the game on Monday night against Cincinnati, 23 points, 11 rebounds. Now, listen, I watched the game. It wasn't as though he was shooting from half court. He wasn't whatever. Um, it was a lot of putbacks and, and stuff around the rim. But listen, Bill Self is going to figure it out. He's going to build depth. Kansas gets a win. North Carolina themselves dominated on Monday night. A good Wake Forest team. I think Wake will be in the NCAA tournament. And North Carolina really put the hurting on them in Chapel Hill. Back to Tuesday, Purdue dominates Michigan. Duke dominates at Louisville. 
I think that's really sort of it. I'm trying to see any other results. You know, Creighton, I thought, got a game from um, Creighton, got a game from Xavier, but they hold on. And that's really it. Kentucky was the result that is worth noting. They lose to South Carolina. We just talked about that. Uh, one game to keep an eye on on Wednesday night. We got the old Iron Bowl on the on the on the basketball court. Auburn at Alabama. Alabama, of course, is coming off that loss to Tennessee. Where it gets interesting, though, Auburn. They're really, really, really good. You know, Auburn's like sixteen and three right now. Let me check that record while we're while we're recording here. They're very good, but the crazy thing about Auburn is they really haven't played a lot of upper, upper level competition. 16 and two, excuse me. Their only losses, how about this, at Appalachian State and against Baylor in the season opening game. They have a lot of really nice wins. Auburn, Indiana on neutral court, USC at home. They just destroyed Ole Miss at home this weekend, but this will probably be their biggest test on the road against their cross-state rivals. Alabama desperately needs a win. Nate Oates, I thought, had some interesting comments at his Monday media availability. Basically said, like, we've proven we could beat the bad teams. Are we going to step up and are we going to show up ready to play against the good teams? Well, we will find out Wednesday as Auburn travels to Alabama. And we'll recap that game, by the way, on Friday's show. Friday will be busy. We're, I feel like by then we'll have some Harbaugh news if we don't have it already. Uh, basically, bottom line is, we got a lot of news on Friday, but I think that's all for today's Wednesday Aaron Torres pod. So it is time for us to get out of here. Appreciate everybody's support. couple things. One, if you're not subscribed, like what are we doing? What are you doing? Make sure to subscribe to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, Apple, Spotify, etc. Make sure you're subscribed on YouTube, closing in on 33,000 subscribers. Appreciate everybody's support there. Uh, make sure you're following on social media, Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, Aaron Torres pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres pod on TikTok. Love the TikTok account. Big TikTok guy, you know, Torres. Um, and make sure if you have any questions for the show, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. Uh, I think that's all for today's show. Like I said, we'll be back on Friday. We'll talk some more football Heck, we'll probably preview those AFC and NFC Conference Championship games as well. Time for me to go. Appreciate everybody's support. We will be back on Friday. Shout out to Torrin Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, you F head. Unblock me, bro. Shout out to J uh, Pat McAfee, too. You need to unblock me, too, bro. I like your show. Why are you hating Torres? I'll be back on Friday. New episode, Aaron Torres Pod. Have a good day, everybody.